Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Social on Johnson Street in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. This is Out to Lunch, and I'm sitting in for Christian Mater. If you're a certain age and in business, you might have had a business midlife crisis. It's not about getting a tattoo and a Harley Davidson. It's about being confronted with a massive change in the way business is done and deciding what to do about it. If you started out before the internet, before apps, before social media, and in some cases before the computer, the relentless onslaught of technology drives you to the point where you either throw up your hands and decide to be a Luddite or you actually embrace the change. Tim Supple has embraced the change, and in a big way. For years, the multi-billion dollar Acadiana oil and gas business depended for its existence on a breed of hydrocarbon cowboys called landmen. A landman secures the leases and rights for an oil and gas company to drill wells. That's not nearly as simple as it sounds. It can involve masses of contracts, phone calls, promises, handshakes, lunches, drinks, scraps of paper, maps, blind alleys, and frequent expensive miscalculations. Tim Supple and his partner came up with a way to take all the disparate inputs oil and gas company landmen accumulate and assemble them in a whole new way, online. They created a web-based version of the Acadian hydrocarbon cowboy and called him iLandman. In a tough time for oil exploration, iLandman is giving over 1,500 subscribers a much-needed edge. Tim Supple, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you very much. Chad Terrio is on the other side of the tech revolution. Although Chad grew up in Bro Bridge, his upbringing sounds more like a kid in Silicon Valley. Chad started working with his father in the family business, CBM Technology, at the age of 12. By 15, he was a computer programmer. Chad went on to create the first automated system that uses voice to produce a transcript for court reporters and has designed and developed software for a wide range of companies, including UPS and the Kellogg Corporation. In 2011, Chad and his business partner bought out his dad's company, CBM, and for that reason, Chad is living back on the Silicon Bayou in Bro Bridge. Chad Terrio, welcome out to lunch. Thank you very much. Now, Chad, I'll start with you. you are part of the first generation to grow up in the tech business. Uh, one of the traditional advantages of being in business for a long time is the institutional knowledge that experience brings. But how does that work in the tech business where things change so quickly? Even just as a consumer with an iPhone, it's difficult to keep up. Is everything you learned 20 years ago useless? Or do you, do you have to continually keep relearning? And if so, when you're doing everything else that goes into running a business, how do you make time for that? That's a really good question, Peter. I think a lot of it really does continue to benefit you from generation to generation because regardless of what the technology is, you still have the same kind of problems with adoption and the same kind of problems with how to implement different kinds of solutions. So the, I guess the names and Places change, but the story remains the same. We still have to deal with the same kinds of uh, how do we deal with more information? Because it's always more, it's always better. And so whatever we're doing, we're trying to just 
increase those capabilities. And the same, the same ways people have trouble with that are the same things that we have to overcome. And, and Chad, you're in a really sexy part of this. You, you help companies prevent hacking, and then if you've been hacked, kind of what, get you back on? Right, and that's the biggest part of what we're doing nowadays. Uh, we came from the mainframe era where we had uh, housed everybody's data, and then we went through the 80s and 90s where everybody had their own private networks, and it was always about thick clients. Well, it's all going back to the cloud now, where, again, all of your information is stored in one central location, and, you know, that problem, the, the, the problem that that brings is that you have people who you know, don't have procedures in place. And the biggest problem we find is that people put their data in, but then they don't have a real good concept of how to handle that data if ever it got compromised, right? And so we, give, we help our community to understand what it's like to recover your data. So when we find a compromise, we'll identify it, we'll let the customer know, let them know that they've been restored as of 30 minutes ago, well, they've got to recreate that 30 minutes of data, right? So, so if I get hacked by the Russians, I should call you? Absolutely. We have them on, we, have, we, know, where, we know where they're at, we know how to fix it. <laughs> now, now, Tim, in re retrospect, uh, the advent of an advance like iLandman was inevitable. The acquiring of leases and drilling rights for oil and gas exploration is the backbone of the business. So taking it online was something that obviously had to happen. As a person who was in the landman business, but not in the technology business, how did you come to decide that you were the guy who was going to become the oil industry revolutionary? Well, uh, I read a book 20 years ago uh, by Milton Friedman, and it was called The World is Flat. Yes. And in that book they said that there were more U.S. tax returns done in India than there were in the United States. Okay. So what it, what it keyed to my mind and, the, and went the, watching the advance of the internet was that all communications would eventually and all businesses would run across the internet in some form or fashion. So to us, it was a very logical step. The job of, land, of a landman is to interpret subjective data to put it into an objective format so that they can make calculations, make decisions, and collect this data in a way that is objective. His job is subjective. Ah. So we said, we should go down this road, it'll be a long path, and the landmen, unfortunately, uh, are the last group to adopt technology. So it's been a slow, uh, a slow road, but it's been a uh, fun road because we, uh, along with others, not just myself, not just I landmen, but we are transforming the industry. And tell me how it starts in the beginning. An oil and gas company, EMP company decides they're interested in a piece of acreage, and then that's where you start? Yes, uh, an oil company, just take an Exxon. Exxon will have landmen in their, fee, uh, landmen in their office uh, for a certain district like Gulf Coast. He will hire a broker. A broker is a landman who has sub-brokers under him. They will say, we want to buy leases in this general area, or this specific area, I should say. The, he will contract one of his con, uh, broker contacts. That guy will hire 10, 20, 30, 40 people uh, who are independent contractors to go out and begin to run title, contact landowners, negotiate leases. A, a good example of this is our first major client was a company um, called Petrohawk in the Haynesville Shale. They had 15 different That's brokers. It's up around Shreveport, it's up right? up around okay. Shreveport, right. The Haynesville Shale is one of the first big shale plays. Um, they had 15 broker companies with a total of about 450 independent contractors in six, seven county parishes, buying leases, uh, running title, doing all this work. 
all of this was coming in on, on paper. So there were reams and reams and boxes and boxes of paper, and it was just not possible to keep up with what they were doing. Plus, they were in a rush. They were in a competitive. Uh, they were competitive with, you know, dozens oh, of other oil companies land going yet. for those same mineral rights. So what we did is we streamlined that situation by having no more paper, getting rid of all the paper that we could, and so information flowed across the internet into into our uh, our, our cloud. I can see all kinds of advantages. Is it cheaper? Oh, it's a lot cheaper. It, it, it reduces your cost 40% wow. right off the bat. Just simply this, I would tell some clients, um, if you don't think it's worth it, I will just take your Federal Express bill on a monthly basis. <laughs> you can pay me by paying me the Federal Express bill. How's that? <laughs> now, one guy actually did it and then said, that's too expensive. I'd rather go with your license fee. <laughs> now, Chad, what if, do people, people are real more like, like companies make the same mistakes over and over again? Is there something you walk in on day one and tell them, this is crazy? That's, it's always happening, Peter. The problem is, is that we do too good of a job, right? So sometimes, I have a story of, of a, a school here in town and we set up a backup solution for them and it ran beautifully for 10 years. One person at the company thought, well, it, you know, she went on vacation and she thought, well, nobody needs to know that. And so she stopped doing it because she didn't, she didn't think anything was ever going to go wrong, right? And of course, that's the week the server went down, right? So, you know, they, they get comfortable with these solutions, and that's the hardest thing to sell about, you know, data resilience is these processes are put in place so that you can be protected on that moment that you, you know, like a hurricane or something oh, yeah. else happens, and they don't realize it until then. So they don't, they don't build, they don't keep up that diligence up until that point. I think that baby in the next table actually has just been hacked or something. She's very, uh, very, very upset. They, uh, how, now, should I not use out to lunch as my password? Uh, no. <laughs> they, uh, do you not, run into people that just have something oh, ridiculous? It's it's when they, it's if I have one more password that's password one, I'm gonna <laughs> scream. <laughs> you know, what but, would be other ones like dog. Well, their kids' names and their birthdays <laughs> and stuff like that. But, you know, the the thing is, what's one of the big procedures we put in place is to make sure that they understand why we're gonna create complicated passwords and and how actually complicated passwords don't need to be something they can never remember they have to be complicated but they have to be non easily discoverable right so we teach them how to do that and that's half of our job is to not only put the technology in place which is now kind of seamless but it's to also work with the people to make sure they understand how to use the technology do you have uh, the thing where they hold hold the uh, the guy's material at ransom Ransomware, yeah. yeah. We've actually not gotten hit with that because we use a strategy called defense in depth. And so ah. it's not only about the firewalls anymore, it's not only about uh, the antivirus, it's not only about all these things we've been doing for 20, 30 years, it's also about the data restore capabilities, the procedures you have in place. And so when, when somebody gets hit by ransomware, we have that machine quarantined, isolated, restored within half an hour. Oh, wow. And so our customers haven't, Luckily, knock on wood, haven't gotten any kind of uh, ransomware issues. You're but beginning, I'm, I'm thinking that you're going to tell me, do not send money to that Nigerian prince that no, writes to me on the but email. You, you know, one of the things I wanted to get out, uh, the main thing that's the difference in the way we think today versus the way we've thought in the last 20 years, you have to assume you've already been compromised. Ah. You have to live with your data in such a way that you've, you've already been compromised. So when you deal with the bank, make sure you never send one communication to the bank with everything in it. Always send yeah. dual form communications to the bank. 
Talk to your financial people in two methodologies, a telephone call and a text. So as long as you cross those methodologies and put them together, you become much more secure. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. My guests are Chad Terrio from CBM Technology and Tim Supple from iLandman. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. My guests are Chad Terrio from CBM Technology and Tim Supple from iLandman. And, and Tim, one of the greatest credits to you in this company is the fact that your business has been kind of flat, and flat in the oil and gas business is an outrageous success, right? Uh, in the last year, yeah, um, we've had about 15 to 20% growth every year, year over year. Yeah. This year we're flat, um, and a lot of our clients, uh, quite frankly, went, went bankrupt, went broke. We've replaced them with new clients, and we, we saw this as a great opportunity. The hardest thing, and I'm sure uh, he will be able to, to speak to this, getting people to adopt new technology. The hardest yeah. thing is to go into a big company and say, we have a better mousetrap. They, they are very, very reluctant to adopt anything that means change because they've been doing it this way for 20 years and it's, it's huge. So what has really happened in our sector of the business is the older companies have now been broken up into smaller companies. In fact, of our last 20 clients that we've gotten in just this last year, I would say 15 of them didn't exist two years ago. So they're all brand new, they're new money, they're new markets, they're new guys, they're new people, just starting up. Uh, we've had a couple of people who have started with us and said, well, we don't have an office yet and won't have one for a month or two. So where do, you know, where do we send, where, where would you like to send the mail or whatever? <laughs> yeah. And um, so that's what happens. They, these are brand new companies. And so it's really been a great, a, a great thing for us. I hate to say it, yeah. but new companies, new technology, new adoption. Why are new people getting in the business? Because it's, it's uh, predictable. Um, when we were drilling wells, when I was in the exploration business, we were lucky if we hit one out of five, one out of six wells. We were drilling down here these conventional dome type plays, um, which was the which was adding most of the reserves in the United States. Um, that's gone away. The shale plays. The production is you fairly ubiquitous over large areas of land, like the Haynesville shale. Yeah, so one one guy puts it this way: I would say it's as easy as shooting fish in a barrel but you might miss shooting fish in the barrel. <laughs> you're never going to miss because you know exactly what you're going for. You know exactly what you're doing. There is always the question of the economics of it. Is the commodity price high enough to offset the cost of exploration? These are high decline wells. They, um, they don't have a lot of large production from them, but they have long-term production on a very low scale. So basically, Wall Street loves a financial statement. They love a cash flow statement. When we were drilling wells, we wouldn't even run a cash flow statement before we drill because the chances are we weren't going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> Thus, no cash. These, yeah, <laughs> these wells always have a cash flow statement. We know, we know that uh, we're drilling these wells so close together, we're just mining right now. So the ubiquitousness of the production from well to well to well and area to area, uh, within a certain area, geographical area, uh, is so common that you can actually run the cash flow and know the worth of your company 
before you get there. So people are getting into this business because it's a whole different game, I guess. It's a whole different game, and there is uh, there is more money raised last year in the oil and gas for the oil and gas exploration than has ever been raised in the history of the United States. That would shock a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because there's so much of it. It's but it's it's lower yield. It's uh, but it's less risk, and um, you know. It's, uh, people love it. Wall Street loves it. You know, they have something they can sell. Now, Chad, Tim, this is the part of the show we uh, call your brother-in-law. Uh, you're finally wrapping up a long day at work. When your phone rings, it's your brother-in-law. Normally, he only calls when he wants to come over and figure out why his Internet's not working. But this time, things are a little different. Uh, start out with you, Chad. Your brother-in-law has a great idea to get you some big-time publicity. This is a completely off the record, of course, and he's prepared to do this just for you. If you just give him airfare and a few thousand bucks, he'll go stay in the British Virgin Islands or Malta or someplace with a beach that you can't trace an IP address, and he's going to try and hack into whatever big business you tell him, maybe even the Fed. Then you're going to be the guy who figures out that there's been an attempted hack going on, and you'll get all the good PR out of it. You probably will even get a contract with the Fed. What do you think? Is it a genius idea or what? <laughs> I've uh, <clears throat> I've never heard that story before. <laughs> uh, was the mic on? Uh, there's, I mean, I understand your your concept, and there are lots of stories that we talk about all day long with people like that. the The thing is, is that in Acadiana, we were always raised with you do an honest day's work, you get an honest day's pay. And I, in my programming career, I was a programmer by nature. There have been a lot of people who said, you know, we can do this and we can make that happen. And, a lot of stories. My main thing has always been about uh, what I love is to bring solutions to people that are that can really use them. So when it comes down to a lot of that covert stuff, yep. um, I have been involved in a few things that were kind of like that. They were never exciting for me. It was. It, it doesn't. It, it's never as sexy as it says. You're it a solution seems. guy. I'm a solutions guy. Right. Solution guy with good morals. This is like. I've been wanting to meet you forever. This is great. They, uh, Don't tell any of my friends in California. They, they... <laughs> <laughs> now, Tim, your brother-in-law also has a great idea. He says this. If you think the oil business is in trouble in Acadiana, take a look at places like Venezuela and Brazil. I mean, they're totally in the toilet. He thinks companies in those places would jump at the chance to use iLandman to get a competitive edge. He's prepared to give up his job at the Racino and go to Brazil on an exploratory mission for you. All he needs is the airfare and a couple thousand bucks, and he'll go to Rio, uh, say, around Mardi Gras. And uh, what do you say? Is that a genius idea or what? Expanding nah, it's, a, it's a terrible idea. Terrible idea, okay. Terrible idea, yeah. The, 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 the need for that, in those countries, the government owns all the mineral rights, so there's, there's very little research to do. That is a whole different situation. What makes America so unique is that you have mineral rights owned by private landowners, which create competition, which creates negotiations. You're not negotiating with a government entity. You're negotiating with individual landowners for their mineral rights. So it's, uh, it's the reason that the oil and gas industry in America is so, is so dynamic. We don't have the reserves that other people do yet we produce twice as much as, uh, as, as those companies on a per dollar basis because we are just a lot more efficient even though our costs uh, and, and our reserves are tougher to get out. Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, we were, if, you took, if you took this free market system into any other country like Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Venezuela, 
they would be a lot more production on the market and cheaper oil right now. Wow. And what about, um, you've probably run into some amazing things as a landman, like situations where numerous people are all in, have ownership in the same acreage you're looking for and you have to get them all signed on yes, board? Yes, yes, yes. that is... Yeah, places like Texas, you'll have uh, where... Louisiana is a little different. We have what's called prescription of minerals where every 10 years, if, if the minerals are separated from the land, um, it's, a, it's looked at as a servitude. If it's oh not used in 10 years, it goes back to the land. In Texas and, and other states like that, New Mexico, it is, uh, it is the, the concept of minerals ownership in place and can be separated perpetually from the land. So you'll have mineral deeds in Texas from the 1900s <laughs> that have gone over generations and generations and generations. It's not uncommon to see a lease on a 100-acre track having 100 people Whoa. on that on, And on you got to get everybody lease. on board. you got to get everybody on board. Part of being a landman is the ability to talk to people and you know, get people to trust you. Trust is the number one thing. They really don't, most landowners really don't know what they're signing, even though they've done it a dozen times. Most landowners really aren't sure of the value of the things they have. Your job as a landman is to be able to talk to them in a way that they can trust what you're saying. They may not like what you're saying, but they can trust what you're saying. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do, because you do have to represent your client trying to buy at the best price that you possibly can. You know what I can. picture you as now is those, the, uh, those the scouts that go to see high school athletes and, and try to convince them to go to your college. It's a lot like that. It really is a lot wild. like that, yeah. That, I that mean, there's another wild. guy outside the door with, with some money, and, you know, the landowner's trying to decide money and reputation, money and who do I trust, <laughs> right? So he really is. Uh, Tim, really. Chad's dad was in the technology field, like kind of, you know, ground zero here. Um, what, what did your folks do? What's that? What did your parents do? Uh, my dad was a dentist in uh, oh. Franklin. Yeah, so that I had no I had no instructions in technology until I got in the oil and gas business. And I tell you, the uh, the, the thing that brought me there was uh, I started noticing all the uh, assessors when they first started keeping. This is how old I am when they first transitioned to computers and matrix systems, which they kept the uh, tax rolls on. So um, when we would have these big projects, we decided, well, gee, we need to get a computer so we can get all this electronic digital data and not have to make copies of it. So it kind of started with that. I mean, a very simple thing. Then GIS, where is it on the map? Where is it in the, on the earth, you know? So simple things like that. And um, we just kept building and building and building. It still will be for the another ten, next 10 years. So. And Chad, you're, you, when your dad started the company here, um, what... Uh, why did he think it was going to work? Was there, was there business to be found? Well, it, we started in 73, so back then there were all mainframes, and there were a lot of mainframe companies out of Dallas that were working here in Louisiana, and you know, the wildcatter um, attitude here in Lafayette was like, we were paying a bunch of guys in Dallas to do something we could do here locally. My dad had worked his way up in a bank computer system and was now the IT manager at Affiliated Foods, and so he ultimately got together with a couple of oil men here in town and uh, some doctors, and they created CBM. And so they started providing services here locally um, back in 1973. And, wow, and that is... that's been what we've been doing. We've moved, you know, we're constantly doing new stuff. So we moved from mainframe when the 
super minis came out and when the networks came out and going down to PCs and we went to the thick client. Thick, and of yeah. course, it's kind of funny now to go back to the cloud. Yeah, we're going like, back. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like backwards. <laughs> we have a lot of the procedures we used to use back yes. in those days. And we're like, we should brush those off and uh, start using them again. So our experience in that area actually helps us. You, you mentioned earlier about, you know, does any of the information in history we have help us yeah. today? It really does, because as Tim was saying, the adoption is the hardest thing. You know, if it's worked that way for 20 years, why do we need to change it? Having people understand why they've got to change to better themselves and to keep themselves uh, relevant in the current economy is one of the things that we have a hard time with. And, and we try, and that's where we really shine, because we get to know who these customers are. We've been around a long time, we have a, we, we have a lot of connections, and so we help these people move through the technology field. Not every technology is something you have to implement. So we help them pick and choose which ones work for them. And, and so yeah, we're not a cookie cutter type thing. I don't have one solution that fits all, right. but we customize our solution for each of the people that we go for. Now, now we work Tim, with. with the advent of shale, has uh, your business all over the country. Yes. Uh, what, what about you, Chad? Where is there, you have a footprint? Or? Yeah, we have, there are really, Four parts of our business. There's a hardware part of our business. That's really mostly local, right? Because we, we drive trucks and we set up networks and we set up camera systems and access and all that stuff. Uh, and then we have a, a real-time business, which is online backups and uh, w domain hosting and all that kind of stuff. That's 724, 365. That can be anywhere in the country. And then we write software. So we write custom software. That, we're writing software for people all over the U.S. We've been talking a lot on this show in the past few months about how Acadiana is going through a transition from a largely oil and gas economy to an exciting diversification that includes an emerging tech sector. It feels like the tech world has suddenly appeared, but actually it's been growing gradually. It's not all the result of a bunch of smart people moving here. A good chunk of it is homegrown. Uh, Chad and Tim, you're both part of the homegrown tech revolution that is changing Acadiana. It's been great to meet you and we look forward to keeping up with you in the future. Thanks for both of you for taking the time to join me today and Out to Lunch. Appreciate Thank it. you. Thank it's you very much. My guests in Out to Lunch today have been Tim Supple, president of iLandman, and Chad Terrio, president of CBM Technology. You can find out more about Chad and Tim's technological ventures by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Social Southern Table and Bar. Social is open six days a week for lunch and dinner and for brunch on Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Ann Christian. Our theme song, On Cool Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we all look like, and you should, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Gwen Oquam. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's Acadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is pet and family friendly with free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within a three-mile radius that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. Additional support comes from ABiz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the one Acadiana region. 
Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Rashidi. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, Acadiana style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette.